0: You are on the line, live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7. Listen online at FoxSports983.com or ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Tuesday afternoon, everybody. Number to call 334-321-1390 that'll put you through to on the line once again 334-321-1390 3, 3, 3, Noah Gardner and Lance Daw with you here on this Tuesday afternoon find us on Twitter at Point Gardner at DawPound. Pound Lance how you doing today my man doing good Noah how are you I'm doing good doing very well waiting on some commitments waiting on some Auburn targets to either choose the Tigers or spurn the Tigers but either way We're still waiting on some decisions here. Donovan Kaufman tweeted out a couple of days ago that he was going to make his decision on Wednesday. We assumed it would come via Twitter considering he tweeted it uh, a couple of days ago saying that he would have his decision coming out today. Still no word on that yet. We're still waiting on Donovan Kaufman, the Vanderbilt transfer, to see if he will be choosing Auburn or Texas. And then you're still waiting on the basketball front as well for KD Johnson, whether or not he will be choosing the Tigers or going elsewhere. It's decision day, it feels like. Now, Auburn, we we won't know anything about KD Johnson until tomorrow. John Rothstein of CBS Sports yesterday tweeted that KD Johnson will be delaying his decision until Wednesday. So... That will be something to look forward to tomorrow on tomorrow's show. So that'll be something to look forward to knowing what KD Johnson will be doing. But Donovan Kaufman
1: still, you know, we'll find out today at some point. It's, just, it's a sitting, waiting, wishing game for Auburn right now, and they're, they're, it's really good to be able to have some exciting offseason content. It's something that you and I have talked about a little bit. Is the transfer portal not necessarily makes my, our job easier, but it makes it more exciting because to have guys going all over the place constantly, like you have the potential of the former Texas A&M wide receiver Shadrack Banks, who was like, oh, maybe he's going to Auburn. Actually, he's going to TCU. You've got a Kansas defensive lineman in the mix. Actually, tomorrow I believe he's also announcing his commitment as well. Guys like Tony Fair, again Donovan Kaufman. it's just an exciting time in the offseason it's going to make the uh, the game a lot more fun moving forward what does Donovan Kaufman and I haven't asked you this question yet but what does Donovan Kaufman this Vanderbilt transfer at safety offer Auburn to the secondary if he does indeed choose the Tigers well I think he offers a couple of things but initially my my gut reaction is well what he offers for me is is to, to be comfortable with, the, with this safety spot because I've, I've said it on the show a couple of different times. I don't necessarily think Ladarius Tennyson's going to be able to fill that spot efficiently. That's just been my gut feeling after watching him last year. I didn't think he was incredibly consistent on the field. And I understand the even the average size for an NFL safety is 5'11", but I don't really like guys that are under that six foot mark. I'd like for them to at least be a little bit bigger. I'm not saying that every guy should be, but I'd like that Kaufman, on the other hand, 5'9", but what he brings to this 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 secondary unit is versatility. You saw his ability in the return game against teams like LSU, returning a punt for a touchdown, and he's young, and he's going to be able to build up experience with this group, and we've talked about this with guys like Chris Thompson Jr. leaving the, leaving the Auburn program. He's going to be able to add a little bit of depth because those guys obviously have left. Uh, as, as far as Tennyson goes again, Not sold on him. So if Kaufman's able to get a little bit of playing time early in the season, I can see him kind of taking over this starting role and being that guy for the next three or four years. This is a this is a depth piece for the moment. And moving forward, I think it's gonna turn out into something a lot more important than that.
0: He's got four years of collegiate eligibility remaining. That four years that's important considering Smoke Monday is this is his last year. This is his last ride with Auburn they need someone to replace that and Kaufman already an SEC talent he's familiar with Derek Mason he was good enough to play for Derek Mason at Vanderbilt I'm sure he's good enough to play for Derek Mason at Auburn and I think he can pan out at that position getting the right development at that spot at safety on the other front though on the basketball side of things on the basketball floor we're still waiting on Katie Johnson to make his decision that'll be tomorrow what do you think about this
1: potential Auburn basketball transfer what do you think about the target well it kind of lessened the blow of figuring out that Scooter Henderson's probably not going to Auburn and Scoot will obviously announce his commitment Friday we m- most sources have have not necessarily confirmed but are leaning towards Scooter going to the G League really disappointing it's probably the second or third lottery pick that's been taken from Auburn by the G League in the last year but as far as Katie Johnson's concerned lessens that blow and he's going to bring a lot to the Tigers as, as far as you know long-term progression just looking at some of his numbers six foot one 190 former four-star guard and I'm not going to consider Katie Johnson a point guard and I'll get to why in a minute 13 and a half points per game 2.8 rebounds 1.2 assists but he did that in 22 minutes per contest he was scoring almost 14 a game in only 22 minutes very efficient score shot 39 percent from three his first game was actually against Auburn and he had 21.7 rebounds two assists. I believe most of y'all remember that game there were a lot of games I'm sure if Cooper's second game that's right there were a lot of games that Georgia was in last season there was a lot of games that Auburn were, was in last season where it would be a very high scoring affair but they would come out in the, on, on the wrong side of it for instance, that Alabama game that Georgia played, it was like an 85-115 to 115 loss. It's like you, you score, you're efficient, but you can't do anything on the defensive side of the floor. Uh, Katie Johnson actually had the most minutes in that Auburn game that he would ever get in a game last season. And that was partially due to the fact that Severe Wheeler was really coming into his own in that back half of the season. Uh, but it, after that, actually, Wheeler finished every single game with no less than 30 minutes at point guard outside of the Alabama game that he fouled out in and another note about that Alabama game as that was actually Katie Johnson's career high and this is something I want to talk about for a minute I want to just look at his numbers and I want to ask you a question Katie Johnson in that Alabama game he had 24 points but it was not a stellar performance from the floor it was 6 of 15 2 of 7 from 3 and you ask well where did he get his scoring well most of it was at the free throw line he was 10 of 15 from the free throw line what does that stat line remind you of? What player? James Harden. That would be one. That would, that, 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 that's actually going to play into something I want to talk about later. But does that remind you of a Sharif Cooper? That does stat remind line? me of a Sharif Cooper. I thought we were taking a dig at James Harden. So yes, the, actually, the, <laughs> I'm going to get to that in a second. But much like, it's much like Sharif Cooper and his final stat lines. But what do Katie Johnson and Sharif Cooper not have in common? Well, Unlike Sharif, Johnson's not one of the guys that can really spread the ball around the floor. Like I mentioned earlier, only 1.2 assists per game. His assist-to-turnover ratio is 1.2 to 2.1. So I don't consider Johnson a point guard, and I think that's a good thing because when you look at Auburn's lineup right now, what do you have? You have Wendell Green, who's going to be a ball-dominant point guard. You have Zepp Jasper, who could be a combo guard, but I prefer him in that role because he's going to be a smaller guy that can handle the ball. I'd prefer him as a point guard. Then you have Desi Sills at shooting guard, who's probably going to start, and then you've got Katie Johnson, who's going to get time to develop at that backup shooting guard spot. I think he's—I don't think he's fit to spread the ball around the floor. I think he's way better off being a more efficient scorer from three, and I think that's going to be his role moving forward on this Auburn team. But – back to Sharif Cooper real quick it's something else I wanted to point out you know there's been a lot of argument about whether or not Cooper's actually going to make it in the NBA and there are a couple of things that you need whenever you go to the second level there's some intangibles that you have to have to be able to say okay this is my talent this is what I'm going to be able to do in the NBA and nobody's going to be able to stop it this is a thing that I'm good at and the thing that Cooper is good at is two things number one he's able to spread the ball around very very well he sees the floor incredibly incredibly well he's got great vision the second thing that he does that ball dominant point guards in the nba do is he draws fouls you see what Trey young is doing in order to score a lot you see what uh, curry is doing outside of from shooting incredibly uh from the three-point line he's able to draw fouls he's able to get to that free throw line he's able to bump guys there's a video i saw recently of Trey young and it's actually very similar to what harden does like you were mentioning they'll get inside the arc and they will draw fouls from the back so And it's something that Cooper was so good at doing is he would get into the paint, he'd be looking for somebody to give it to, and if he didn't have somebody to dish it off to, he'd draw a foul. And so that's what's going to be able to translate to the, to the next level is if he can keep healthy and if he can develop somewhat of a three-point shot, he will be able to actually get his own, score some points, and dish it out. He's, he will be a threat at the next level, especially if he gets somewhat of a shot. But I just wanted to point out Johnson's not like Cooper in the fact that they're not, he's not a point guard. They're not the same player. But we're getting somebody that can develop into a really, really good score moving, moving on down the line. If Auburn can get If that. we can get him. And I, <laughs> that, I, and I understand it's still, spe- it, it's still, it's, it's still up, up in the air whether or not he commits to Auburn or not. But I, from what I understand, I think he's going to Auburn. So what, I'm just speculating as if, as if he will. But if he doesn't, again, great depth piece for another team that, could, that has some serious potential to pan out if he stays in college for a couple of years. I think you hit the nail on the head I don't know if there's much else I can add that was a good six
0: minute soliloquy right there my man about KD Johnson as a potential player for Auburn next season Auburn doesn't need a point guard in my eyes I got Wendell Green Jr. not saying that that's enough honestly you look at the roster you probably could use one more after that of course but you've got several players around him that can handle the basketball. You have Wendell Green Jr, you have Zep Jasper. Both of those guys can provide you point guard minutes. In addition to that, Desi Sills can handle the basketball. You have players that can tote the ball up the court and distribute. I believe I still I think you may be a little harsh on KD Johnson and his ability to distribute. I don't think he's a true point guard. I think he's more of a combo guard. If you're evaluating it, I think he's got the ability to distribute better than the average two guard I, i'd agree I'd i think agree. he's got the better that better than average two guard distri- distribution ability but i would agree with you that he's not a true passing point guard such as sharif cooper i think he's versatile and he'll offer auburn the ability to be able to slide in at the one while also being able to play out on the wing right which auburn does need another guard right now and then barring whatever
1: happens with jt thor auburn will need another Another winger. Here's my thought process on Katie Johnson in the point guard position. If you're an Auburn fan and you you care at all about Auburn basketball, you saw what happened at that position last season. You had Justin Powell and and, um, I'm I'm drawing a blank. He went to South Tyrell Jones. I'm Wow. Turbo. Turbo. He was playing minutes at the point guard position. Neither of those guys were true point guards. Turbo was a combo guard and Justin Powell is Klay Thompson 2.0 um but but they're not they're not true point guards then you had alan flanagan who is a small forward running the point because auburn either had injuries or they were just waiting on sharif cooper then you had guys like jamal johnson have to step in late into the season again he's more of a shooting guard not a ball handler so moving forward with the tigers i'm scared to try and put somebody even a combo guard in that ball handling point guard distributor role that isn't designated to do that because I've now seen the effects of what happens whenever you consistently bring a guy in that's not meant to do it. The offense doesn't work. It just doesn't. You saw how well it worked with Cooper. That's what he can do. He can handle the ball, and he can distribute. If Auburn's going to have point guards on the roster, I think it's got to be Green it's got to be Jasper, and then I think Katie Johnson, while I I agree with you, I shouldn't discount his ability to distribute – I just think that he will, as time goes on, fill in that more, okay, I'm a scorer, not a distributor role. More that, of a Desi Sills-like right. figure. And that may come. That may that, that, that ability to distribute may come with his uh, ability to shoot. Is be, He'll become more of a threat, and he'll, he'll get more court vision. He'll be able to be aware of, like, okay, well, let's start passing it to some teammates, and then the offense will flow better. I'm just speculating. But as far as point guard concerns, I really like to keep my guys that play point guard there because, again, we've seen the effects of not having a point guard can be.
0: Man, Auburn is going to have a hard time. Bruce Pearl is going to have a hard time managing mm. this managing the minutes of the players on this roster on spots 1 through 3 in the starting lineup or or on the floor. When you talk about the point guard through the small forward position or your or your second shooting guard, I think as many times you've seen out of some of these Bruce Pearl teams, whoever's playing that wing position When you look at spots one through three for Bruce Pearl, man, he's going to have a hard time, especially if KD Johnson commits to the Tigers. Let's switch to the other side of the state. Josh Primo moving up some draft boards at the moment. Josh Primo in the top 30 of Bleacher Report mock draft. Will he take off for the next level for the Alabama Crimson Tide as far as underclassmen are concerned? Jaden Shackelford and Josh Primo are still waiting in the wings right now you're still waiting to see if they're going to be returning I have a feeling Primo is gone and there is somebody that Alabama will be losing that had his flurry of moments throughout his freshman season but he was overshadowed by players that
1: were far older than him such as John Petty and some of the other point guards yeah I think Primo's definitely got some ability at the next level and like you said Primo had his moments last season as a freshman there would be games where he would do absolutely nothing i believe he only had five points in that loss to ucla in the sweet 16 and then there, he'd have moments where he, he would be unstoppable In the games like lsu where alabama was just raining threes he's one of those guys that's like you look up and he's the guy that has the most points at the end of the night he's definitely got potential and again it, it's this alabama squad i think we've we've kind of mentioned this a little bit is built like the auburn teams in 2017 through 2019 to where all they did was jack up threes and score points and get up and down the floor and cause havoc and i think guys like primo fit really well into that system has he has he declared or is he just he's just oh he's in the process he's He's got an ncaa certified agent
0: so he, he still has the ability to return but he is generating quite the draft buzz right now to be a potential first round pick and possibly, you
1: know, one of the only first-round picks, if not the only first-round pick for the Crimson Tide. Well, I think something that NBA scouts are definitely going to look at and say, "Man, that's something that we got to have is his size as a shooting guard—six foot six, one ninety, very talented freshman guard—and a in- combo guard. He, he might even be able to play point guard at the next level, right? And the NBA seems to really like these guys from Canada. Of course, Primo from our Ar- Ar- Ontario guys, like R.J. R- Barrett from Canada in the past. Uh, so he—he's got nba written all over him i would like to see him come back for another year because like you said he was overshadowed by guys like john petty on that roster who were seniors and leaders and were just kind of kind of leading that sweet 16 team i'd like to see him come back for another year and, and get the opportunity to be a leader because that's something else that the nba leads we're talking about intangibles earlier and things that you gotta have gotta have one thing that you do really well if you're going to survive and if you can do multiple things really well you're going to be great and I think Primo's got the ability to do a lot of things well it's just I think he needs more time to develop
0: on the other side of this break we got some kickoff times for the football season announced we'll break down some of that action coming up on the other side of this break you're listening to on the line back on on the line Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama Headed to the phone lines now. We got Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer joining us online. Justin, how you doing today, my man? I'm all right. How are you? We're doing well. We appreciate you hopping on with us here on this Tuesday afternoon. And of course, we're all still waiting on Donovan Kaufman unless something's come up in the last, you know, ten, fifteen minutes or so. What could this Vanderbilt transfer offer to the Auburn program? And where do you think we're at on this going into what was supposed to be his decision day?
2: Yeah, I think uh, I think the big day on Wednesday is going to be interesting to, to track. Um, you know, Auburn's in a good position, I, I think. You you have Texas is interesting. That Texas has been in it for a while here, and it would be interesting to hear kind of what their pitch is to him. But I mean, the thing with Donovan Kaufman is, is you're going to get a transfer uh, if if he comes to Auburn that already knows what Derek Mason wants in his defense because that's what he did. Uh, you know, he played two games for Vanderbilt last season. He looked pretty good. Especially in a, in a game against LSU, um, you know he he is he's one of those guys that's going to be very versatile. He reminds me a lot of kind of what Auburn's getting out of Bidarius Knight and uh, the new uh, the new transfer from Southeast Missouri State, and a guy that they can play everywhere. Uh, plays both safety roles, uh, plays in the nickel. You can slide him down into linebacker on some occasions. So, you know, I think it would be a big time pickup for Auburn. You look at this this off season that they've had uh you know, jamie and sherwood jordan peters christian tutt all go to the draft chris thompson uh you know leave uh, leaves the team after spring practice you do get Knighton, and you've got guys like amari harvey and some of these young guys are going to be you know probably going to be safeties or nickels moving forward uh but getting a dude like kaufman would be a pretty good like for like i think replacement for thompson they're the same age um and and and, I, and kaufman has a little bit of an advantage there in that he's, he started a couple of games in SEC play, and he looked good when he did it.
0: There's been some criticism out there, at least that we've gotten from callers, and I know that there might still be a little bit of that belief permeating throughout the Auburn community, but what do you think about the level of Auburn transfers coming into the program? We've had some folks concerned about how Auburn has recruited in the first five months under Brian Harson. In, in what ways can you try to assuage those folks' concerns about those players.
2: Yeah, I think I think well, you gotta look at who they're going after and what roles they're playing. You go get guys like Tony Fair and by Darius Knight, what are you doing? You get one year rentals, guys that, you know, want to play a role on their team and, you know, hop in and, 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 and get to the NFL really for a year. Kaufman would be a little bit of a different case just because he has several years of eligibility left. Um, but yeah, I mean you, you you can't make up dudes in the in the portal. And and for Auburn right now they're trying to go get uh, guys who can play right away, uh, guys that aren't necessarily going to be the backbone of the team three, four years down the line, but guys that are going to you know, make impacts and play roles, you know, and, and I think that's got to be something you got to consider if you're looking at Auburn's talent level. I mean, these guys are coming from smaller schools and smaller programs. But that doesn't mean, you know, they don't have talent. How many times you can look up in the NFL – and see, you know, FCS guys, even Division two guys, uh, you know, get picked in the early round. So there's talent to be found there. Um, I think in the portal, though, you just uh, – they're trying to get guys that want to play right away. I mean, there's not a ton of dudes that are in the transfer portal from Power 5 schools. And if there are, they're usually guys that, you know, couldn't play where they were, uh, you know, beforehand. So, I mean, you know, you're getting guys like Tony Fair, like uh, like Aries Knighton who have played a lot of football. And are using Auburn, you know, as a step up in competition, a bigger platform to, to get, you know, get to their goals of playing in the NFL. And I think it'll be interesting to see how they fill it out from there. As, as for the regular recruiting, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see, um, you know, the, the Auburn's class did well to get back to top 20 status last year uh, or in this last cycle. Uh, but, I mean, we can't really judge what this, you know, re- coaching staff looks like in terms of recruiting because they've been, you know, doing it kind of handicapped. You know, Auburn builds its reputation as a recruiter based on the fact that they have to bring kids onto campus. They can't just, you know, get on the Zoom call and say, hey, you know, look at all the titles we've won. You want to come here. They can't do what Nick Saban does. They can't even do kind of what Kirby Smart and some other schools are able to do. Um, so you have to bring them on campus. You got to show why Auburn's different and, and you you use that to get them to come on board. And you haven't been able to do that during the pandemic. Um, and, you know, starting in June, June 1st, you'll be able to start doing that a little bit more. So, um, I know Auburn fans are wanting to see the recruiting t- turn around, and, and you know I think that's going to be a big test for Harson and his staff. Uh, but it's early, and you know the, the the real recruiting work isn't going to begin in earnest for what Auburn needs to do really until uh, the next few months.
0: Speaking with Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer, what do you think about this TJ Findlay situation and what it could become at Auburn? Do you think Auburn's really a, a major player in the recruitment of TJ Findlay? And how could that impact the quarterback situation for the Tigers?
2: Yeah, I do think they're, they're a factor. Every interview he gives, he mentions Auburn uh, in the mix. And, and, you know, it's interesting to see what teams are going after him. I know Alabama's in the mix for him as well. And that, I think that kind of, you kind of sit up and get your attention when a, when a school like Alabama, who can kind of get the pick of whoever they want at quarterback, you know, year in and year out out of high school, is looking after this guy. Um, you know, I think that's uh, I think that's a sign. And, I mean, T.J. Finley had a ton of offers coming out of high school, um, including, you know, places like Auburn, places like Georgia, places like Alabama. And I think with Finley, I think Auburn's trying to go after there because not necessarily that, you know, they think they need to replace Bo out right away. But I think they want to have somebody who can push him. I think they want to have somebody who's got some SEC starting experience if they can get it, which he does have, um, who can be a backup option in case something happens to Bo Next this season. And then a competitor, I mean, he's got several years of eligibility left, so a competitor moving forward. Uh, you know, everybody thinks that Demetrius Davis is going to be a really good player uh, because of what he did in high school. And, you know, I, I tend to agree. I think he's going to be a really good college quarterback, but you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket, right? You, you want to have depth and you want to have competition and just let the pieces fall where they may be quarterbacks, the most important position on the field, the most important position, to a team, and the last thing you want is to not have enough depth. They have three scholarship quarterbacks right now. Grant Lloyd's coming out after this season. This is going to be his last one. Uh, you know, Davis is, a, is an unproven commodity at this point, and Nick is draft eligible. You know, for, <laughs> from the end of this season on. So, I mean, there's no telling what kind of looks like what the quarterback situation is when you lose Shaw Garnett, when you lose Cord Sandberg in the off season. You want to go in and replace with some depth. You do have. Uh, you know a twenty a nice twenty twenty two quarterback uh, coming in who is steadily you know rising the the, the recruiting boards uh, right now at Holden Garner. Um, but like I said, uh, you know you want depth, you want competition, you want guys that are going to be able to push each other. And I think T.J. Finley would represent that. Um, and the and I think the fact of the matter is there are plenty of teams who have starting quarterbacks who have good quarterback situations right now that aren't in a you know desperate need for. Uh, an immediate starter, they're going after Finley because they see the upside of him. He's gigantic. He's got a really big arm. Um, and uh, he was a guy that uh, you know some people thought were, was really underrated at coming out of high school. And the fact that he's already been through the fire some in the SEC I think only helps his value.
1: You were talking earlier, and I want to go back to this for just a second, but you were talking about getting guys from smaller schools, and it reminded me about Auburn's secondary, specifically at the safety spot. If Auburn does get Donovan Kaufman, they're getting a guy that's 5'9", and the other guy that they would potentially be playing at that other safety spot outside of Smoke Monday, who is 6'3", would be Ladarius Tennyson at 5'10". I understand, I believe the average height for a starting secondary player in the NFL is like 5'11", but I really am not... Excited about bringing in starting safeties that are that are way under average receiver height. Where do you see Donovan Kaufman fitting in as far as his size goes? Is that a concern moving forward?
2: Yeah, no, it's it's going to be interesting. Yeah, they do have smaller guys. Both him and uh, you know Tennyson are on the smaller end of the spectrum for sure. And I think those are guys that are kind of versatile pieces. You know, you can play play him at nickel, you can play him at safety, you kind of move them around. Uh, but Aries knighton has got some good size that they brought in. Um, you know, at six foot. Um, they've got some of these younger guys at safety that are they're a little bit bigger um you know if you put a guy like Nehemiah Pritchett in at nickel um when, when you bring in Ju Miller, you've got some more size there as well but yeah i mean i think I think the 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 Kaufman interest is is pretty self explanatory in the fact that he knows the system um that he was a really good player, he's a guy that Derek Mason obviously likes a lot, and they want to be able to plug in. Um, the safety spot's going to be you know, real fascinating to, to, to find out moving forward for Auburn because you have caught, you could bring Kaufman in. He has he's got potential to start. Um, you know if you you know keep a guy uh, like uh, like Tennyson back at safety. You know he's he's got he's got his his strengths uh, athletically back there. Zion Puckett uh, is somebody you can't forget about at the safety spot as well. So I mean, there's going to be a lot of competition back there. But yeah, I think it's just when you're taking a smaller guy like this, you got to be really, you got to be really sure, you know, um, you know, that he can, that he can play. He can give you a lot of, uh, a lot of um, value. And I think for a guy like Terry Mason, um, you know, he knows that he trusts his evaluation of a guy like Hoffman because, um, you know, he, he, he got him to come to Vanderbilt over uh, several bigger schools and uh, played him and started him right away. Uh, those first two games before he got COVID. So, Um, yeah it'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out I think one of the main things though with this group is they like versatility they like mixing and matching and I think there's going to be a variety of sizes and skill sets that they have there where guys are going to be able to kind of move around and not just be out and out safeties every play maybe not just be out and out you know nickels but I think you're going to see a lot more movement and uh, kind of disguising things and mixing up coverages and stuff like that so I think a guy like Kaufman, who has familiarity, being so versatile in this scheme, I think will give you a lot of will will give you a lot of help if if he's able to, you know, if he he ends up uh, you know committing to Auburn tomorrow.
0: Justin, I know things are pretty weird out there, but have you made your plans for six thirty Happy Valley yet?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I'm already trying to get uh, trying to get all that sorted out at this point. Um, You know, I, I have a. I have a couple of friends who cover Penn State, so I think my I think my lodging situation is going to be nice up there. It's just going to be a matter of getting up there. Uh, but it's going to be a whole lot of fun. Uh, you know, a few weeks, a few weeks, probably a couple months ago, there were some Auburn fans asking, hey, what time do you think that game was going to be? And I felt like primetime on ABC made the most sense uh, with just the way the schedule will work out in week three. And, uh, yeah, lo and behold, we, we get the confirmation today. It's going to be a great atmosphere. I think uh, one of the big questions left is, you know, will the state of Pennsylvania allow you know full-capacity stadiums by then? Uh, so hopefully, I think with vaccines and cases going down across the country, we're at, at the point that when Auburn does play uh, you know, Penn State on the 18th, it's it's going to be a pretty good atmosphere.
0: Justin, I appreciate you taking the time to hop on with us today. Tell everybody where they can find all your great content and subscribe to it.
2: Yeah, auburnobserver.com is where you can check it all out. $6 a month or $60 a year. Get you access to uh, all of our newsletters. We po- put one about, about three or four times a week. Also have a couple podcasts as well. And when you sign up there and and pay the subscription fee, everything that we do, uh, you know, story wise or podcast wise, uh, gets emailed straight into your inbox. So that is AuburnObserver Check it out, and you can follow me on Twitter at JFergusonAU.
0: Justin, I appreciate it, my man. I hope you uh, hope you get everything sorted out and able to get up to Happy Valley, and I hope you have a good <laughs> afternoon, my man.
2: Yeah, I appreciate it. Y'all be good.
0: That was Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer on the line with us. We'll be back on the other side of this break to wrap up hour number one. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Solid hour number one of the show. Now into hour number two, 3 p.m. Here on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Keep up with all of the content the show is putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Follow it on Twitter as well at Radio AL Sports. It's the place to be for Auburn and Alabama content as well as high school sports content. Once again, that's RadioAlabamaSports.net. Starting off hour number two here with an excellent hypothetical question here for you, Lance. Hit me. Which team that did not make the college football playoff last year
1: which team will make it this year hmm i think that's a really good question and i think there i think there's multiple answers to this This could go like three different ways i think in my opinion i think you and i would agree that the most likely team to make the playoff this year were very very high on oklahoma I think you and I would agree that that's probably our number one team.
0: Boomer sooner,
1: baby. I hope that the wagon doesn't tip over. I don't think... I don't think it's gonna. I don't think it happens three years in a row. I don't think you lose to Iowa State or Kansas State this year. I think th- I think this is the year. Bo Nix has looked good. I'm kidding. I'm not gonna. It's not gonna do something stupid. <laughs> uh, no, but I think Spencer Rattler in year two is gonna be able to polish some of those things. Some of those things that we saw in game against teams like Iowa State, throwing interceptions, not looking it, it, polished. I think is the word that that I'm gonna continue to use for him moving forward this season. I think he grew up last year. But he did. Yeah, he really did though and he's got so so much talent man that arm talent is insane it's look it's like kyler murray but taller it's just he throws a really pretty ball and this oklahoma team's figured out how to play defense if you can do that in the big 12 you're probably going to win a lot of games and you look at their returning production again really high on returning production it's what i th- it's the reason i thought lsu would be good uh the year that they won the natty it's the reason i thought lsu would be bad last year like everybody else did But Oklahoma, 43rd nationally, not the best, but it's good. It's above average, 76% overall, and 78% of their offense is coming back. And that's all I need to know, because if you're bringing back 78% of your offense as Oklahoma in the Big 12, you're going to score points. You're going to score a lot of points. 75% on the defensive side of the ball, that's 51st nationally, but think about it. Bringing back three-fourths of a defensive unit that has improved so much over the last two or three seasons. Again, you're going to win a lot of games. You're going to win a lot of games if you're, play- if you're playing as Oklahoma with a good defense. And in order to get in the playoff, all you got to do is, is, in essence, win your conference, unless you're Alabama, <laughs> in which case <laughs> you don't necessarily have to do that. But let's, let's look at their schedule just real quick, just kind of breeze through why they could, they could just kind of glide through 2021 to the playoffs. They play at Tulane. That's a win. They play Western Carolina. That's a win nebraska at home that's an interesting game but that's probably a win they play west virginia uh that'll be a win then they finally their first road game is at kansas state let's pencil that as a maybe game (laughs) no i'm kidding Uh, i think i think they can definitely go and win that game then they got the uh the red river rivalry uh on october 9th against texas i think that unless steve sarkisian just gets this offensive scheme going immediately i think that's got to be a win for oklahoma tcu at Kansas, Texas Tech, Baylor. I mean, honestly, this is not that difficult of a schedule. It's very similar to Clemson.
0: The defense went from allowing 27 points a game in 2019, an Oklahoma team that was 12-2 that year, to last year their defense only allowing 21 points a game. That's a big jump for me. And as you've already brought up, they bring back a lot of talent on both sides of the ball. The reason why I'm bullish on Oklahoma this year is because – If they get that type of production out of the defense and lack thereof of their opponents on the offensive side of the ball, if they only give up 21 a game on the defensive side of the football... This is an Oklahoma team easily cruises into the college football playoff because nobody in the Big 12 is going to beat them.
1: That's right. And I I know this is off topic because it's not the question you asked, but once they get to the playoff, the question is, well, what are they going to be able to do? Because they've lost by an average of 16 points every time they've reached it. This year might be a little bit different because again, that defense has figured out how to play football. Just look at what they did to Florida last year. It was brutal. It was brutal against the best passing offense in the country. You would think if I told you that a Big 12 school would annihilate. Held them to 20. Alabama did not hold Florida to 20. The best passing offense in the country to 20 points in their bowl game. I probably
0: pumped the brakes on best passing
1: offense. I think Alabama's got something to say about that. Statistically, it was, I I believe. It it was most passing yards per game. I'd have to go check that. I might be wrong. But one of the best. One of the best. We'll say that stats lie <laughs> Stat, yeah, well yeah i can I, I understand what you're saying i, I I'm, I'm behind that but you know oklahoma probably the best team to do it if there is going to be a team i'm really high on miami i don't think you're as to high on miami as, as me i think if there's if there's another playoffs, team that could do it <laughs> playoffs we're talking about the playoffs yeah miami I, I think if miami can get even if they lose to Alabama they can go through that ACC schedule and we were talking about it during the break okay let's say they
0: have to beat Clemson then if
1: Clemson loses to Georgia and they sweep through that subpar schedule then they're gonna have to play another quality opponent Miami in the ACC championship game and I don't see them getting past that they've not gotten a chance to really play it that a caliber team that high of a caliber team outside of Georgia week one and they they would if in my scenario they lose that game So if you come into that championship game as Clemson and you're 11-1 and and Miami is 11-1 and and they both lost to powerhouse SEC teams, I think Miami's schedule is a little bit more difficult. I think the returning production says a lot about this football team, especially offensively. I think Derrick King in year 300 is finally going to be able to really put some Heisman numbers up. And I think there's potential for Miami to upset and then get into the playoffs. Now, the question I asked myself during the break as well is like, would I rather see Clemson or would I rather see Miami in the playoff? because once you get to that stage again it's like Oklahoma you're playing teams that are just out of your league and they're just in a league of their own even though you yourself are in a league of your own so I don't I don't know about that but to get to the playoffs I think they've got a chance
0: there are three teams that are making the playoff right now in my mind that I'm not moving out and that's Alabama Clemson and Ohio State I will be quicker to supplant Ohio State with another Big Ten team Mm -hmm. than I will be to supplant Clemson with another ACC team. But I see no scenario, looking at these schedules, I see no scenario in which an ACC school overtakes Clemson, nor do I see a scenario in which we get two ACC schools into the college football playoff. So given I've got at least one SEC school, one ACC, and one Big Ten school, and then fill in the blank with a fourth. I don't think we will see a scenario, as I just said, where you get two ACC schools in. Because I've got Miami losing to Alabama. I don't think that they beat Clemson in the ACC championship game. I don't believe that one bit. Because Clemson has reached that level for me where they're doing what Alabama's doing every year. The recruiting has now transcended what they return on a year in a year out basis now whether or not they're able to win the national championship that's a different discussion Levi and I yesterday were talking about make or break factors on the show for Alabama when you talk about make or break factors for Alabama it's like well, what do you mean by break Alabama because Alabama's not going to lose three games in a college football season right now right So what I mean by break Alabama is what could keep them from winning the national championship or for making the national championship. And I may get there with you that Clemson won't get there or that Clemson won't win it. I'm fine with that. But missing the playoff altogether, I can't get there with you at all. And so for me, Miami is is almost on the furthest. Miami is Pluto right now if we're talking about... The college football playoff is the sun, and we're talking about teams orbiting it right now and trying to make it. Miami, for me, is Pluto when I'm talking about this upcoming year. I have a really hard time getting there. I think it would be far more likely to sit, to stick to your Big 12 schools or to stick to your Pac-12 schools, or maybe if you wanted to go with, saying Ohio State starting a true freshman quarterback or a redshirt freshman quarterback that has seen no playing time whatsoever and saying, huh, maybe Ohio State loses two games in the Big 10 doesn't doesn't get a team into the playoff maybe the Big Ten doesn't get into the playoff this year maybe you get Alabama Clemson Oklahoma and then insert fourth team here the Big 12 ain't getting two teams in so maybe you see a second
1: SEC school or maybe the Pac-12 gets into it I was about to say real quick before we move on to who I think the Pac-12 could potentially have get into the playoff I do want to point out uh even though I agree with you Alabama's passing offense was much more efficient Florida actually led the country in passing yards per game by 20 yards okay 20 yards 378 to alabama's 358 that's insane but, but as still, you pointed out still the efficiency it's still still yeah. I, I completely agree with you way more efficient um but i think the third team you got to be able to look at is usc and there's not necessarily anything particularly impressive about their returning production 67th nationally that's right at average but they've got the quarterback yes you're right 69 percent across the board but they've got the quarterback to do it and that's something that really matters if you're going to be able to make a playoff run. you got to be able to have a quarterback that is either Trevor Lawrence or has some legitimate returning production and some legitimate game experience under his belt. And I'm not that high on Oregon this year. I think Anthony Brown is a decent quarterback that transferred from Boston College, but I don't think he's going to be playoff. He's not going to get into the playoffs. It's not happening. USC, on the other hand, I think we could finally see them get into that fourth spot. I think, I think they've got a chance to do it just looking at their schedule uh, they play san jose state stanford washington state oregon state and colorado open the season 5-0 and you get utah and then you get a bye week and then you have to play at notre dame and I've got a lot of I've got a lot of personal bias against Notre Dame, but I will not keep, let that keep me from saying that this is going to be a really competitive, fun game. Notre Dame obviously bringing in Jack Cohn, the Wisconsin transfer. I don't think Notre Dame's going to be a world beater. I think that's a very winnable game for USC, especially if we're going to pencil them in as a playoff contender. Then you get Arizona and the most difficult game on the schedule, I think, has got to be at Arizona State. Jalen Daniels, really talented, finally in his junior year. Uh, going to be able to get a full season under his belt. He hasn't been able to do that in, in, in an entire season. I think he's a very special quarterback. Could be a really tough game. Then you get Cal, UCLA, and you finish off the season with BYU, who doesn't have Zach Wilsons, and that's at home for USC. So that's got to that's be a win, right? And then you, you, you get into the Pac-12 championship game, and if you're playing Washington, you might as well be scared because they usually somehow find a way to win it. Uh, but I think USC is another team that has a pretty, not necessarily clear, but it's an optimistic path to the playoff just they've been the Oklahoma of
0: the Pac-12 not in the sense that they win it every year but in the sense that they fall to the proverbial traffic cone that I call Iowa State and Kansas State at the Big 12 they they lose to the teams that they shouldn't lose to and it ends up taking them out of contention for much much more mm-hmm. I have a hard time with USC as well. If we're going with my planetary model, though, they are much closer to <laughs> to the center of to, to the center of our of our galaxy here. We're talking about the sun, which is the college football playoff, but the primary team that I think makes the college football playoff that did not make it last year, Oklahoma is there for sure. I I might go as far as to say that maybe Georgia is, is a better candidate than USC Uh, maybe we shouldn't just grade this based off of strength of schedule maybe we should grade it off of the team's ability because strength of schedule hasn't been a problem for USC over the last couple of years strength of schedule has not been a problem for some of these schools that are missing it their problem has been because they haven't been able to consistently beat the teams that are even average in their own league USC is still falling to teams that are worse than they are in their own conference or at least should be worse than they are. Same as Oregon. Oregon fell to that trap as well several years ago when they beat or they lost to Auburn and then they still lost a conference game. You know what I mean? Like they right. they still were unable to make it to the college football playoff because they didn't go undefeated in their own conference when they should have, and we know that they should have. So I look at Georgia, and Georgia has won the SEC East repeatedly. I know they didn't do it last year, but you look at. What they've got coming back compared to some of the other teams of the SEC East. So you look at the scope of the SEC East. Most people are lauding Georgia as a favorite. And I've said, don't buy into this Georgia football team. And, and I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid. And I don't think they will make the playoff. But if we're talking about teams that are most likely to make it, that did not make it a year ago, Georgia, I think, has to come up into the conversation because they are going to have the wins. They are going to have the resume. And if they beat Clemson in week one, who, who do they have left? right they got to beat florida and they got to beat auburn which i think you would say if they're able to beat clemson they're favorites in those games Mm -hmm. and then even if they were to lose in the sec championship to an alabama in that scenario if they were even just one loss and they took that loss to alabama the sec title i still think you could see them get in as that fourth team wondering what else the you know barring if there's you know not undefeated teams elsewhere but you know this is about to be a weird year in college football there's some down there's going to be some down conferences i think the big 10 could be down this year their best team, year in and year out, Ohio State, I don't think is a sure lock for the college football playoff, mainly because of what they've lost and what they've got to go through at the quarterback position. And, I, and nobody's talking about their quarterbacks. Like, these guys are going to be absolute beasts, like they were talking about the guys before them, right? Right. And so, for me, like, I, you know, Ohio State should still make it, but I think you're looking at so much talent left the game this past year in 2020 so much talent left Alabama lost a lot you've already talked about returning production with Alabama Alabama's towards the bottom of the nation in returning production so much talent left Alabama so much talent left Clemson we lost Trevor Lawrence a guy who's been in the game for three years we lost Travis Etienne a guy who's been in the game for 10 years you know <laughs> that's mm-hmm. a joke but you know <laughs> you lose guys like that you lose all of those talented receivers that have come across the Clemson program now they bring a lot on defense but they lost a lot on offense Ohio State You lose Justin Fields, who feels like he's been in the game for a while. You talk about so much talent across the top that left college football and went to the next level. North Carolina lost a ton of talent in the ACC. Some of these teams that were great last year, Texas A&M, another team that was towards the top, lost a ton of talent. LSU is a shell of what they looked like two years ago. You talk about all of these teams that were towards the top last year. Florida loses Kyle Trask, loses Kadarius Toney, loses Kyle Pitts. Come on, man. Like... All of these teams that were in the top 10 last year lost so much to the next level. It makes you wonder what the landscape of college football is going to look like next year. For me, it's a Wild West outside of Alabama and Clemson, and let's figure it out from there. And I think Oklahoma will get in as well. They they feel like more of a lock to me because of how much they have coming back. And that combined with the easy nature of a Big 12 schedule. So those are my three fill in the spot for 4 it's probably ohio state mm-hmm. that's the safe playoff that you would put together if you were going to put together your safest teams to make it you would say alabama ohio state clemson and oklahoma that that would be what you would say but if i had to put a fifth team in that bunch
1: i i i might go georgia just but, with the way that i think the landscape of college football looks i think the way the, the, the way to look at georgia is like well they always win the games that they should outside of that South Carolina game a year or so ago. And they do have to play South Carolina September 18th at home. I'm just saying. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. kidding. No, but they they win the games that they do, and then they get so close to the end, and then they lose. It's been the SEC championship game to Alabama. It's been second and 26. It's been every single moment that they've had is like, oh, my goodness, we're finally getting over the hump. It's like, no, hold on. You're playing Alabama. You're not going to win this game. But this year, if they do get over teams like Clemson, Auburn, and in Florida, they'll have a legitimate shot. again, talking about where these teams could be at heading into their conference title game. Alabama's still very, very young. Georgia, very, very young, but there's there's definitely a chance there, like you said, talking about the fifth team that could potentially get in, I would definitely put them there. Georgia, yeah yeah, I agree.
0: just because of their talent, you know talent I, I, alone. I don't want to just look at some of these teams like Texas and u s c and 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 look at their schedules and say yeah, that's a favorable schedule, but like, or Miami, and say, yeah, that's a favorable schedule. They can get there, but do they have the talent to win the game that they have to win to make it in? Because there's that game on all of those teams' schedules at some point, barring maybe USC. USC may not have that game because the Pac-12 is really weak at the moment. I mean, you, you got to beat Oregon and Washington, and I think that they're good enough to do that. But once again, if even if they split with those teams – it seriously jeopardizes the Pac-12 conference from being able to make it into the college football playoff. And then you also have to take into account Notre Dame. And think about all the talent that left the Notre Dame program as well that went to the next level. You, you, you have to take into account all of these different factors. And you even look at Notre Dame, and Notre Dame's a team that's like, we went 11-1, and put us in. And then, and then they, they mess things up. This is going to be a year where there's going to be a lot of parity outside of two teams. Outside of two teams, there will be a ton of parity.
1: I think Alabama and Clemson are going to cruise, and after that, just have fun watching college football this year. And I thought this was genuinely how the season was going to go last year, with 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 just conference play and teams not being able to have spring practice. I thought, well, who's going to succeed? It's the blue bloods. But that necessarily wasn't the case. There was a, there was there was more, there's some different things going on. Yeah, there was some different. There's way less parity this, year, this yeah. season. I think. But with that being said, that's not that's also not me
0: saying book Alabama and Clemson for your national championship next year. That's not what I'm saying. that is not at all what I'm trying to get at I'm just saying when you look at who they're playing on their
1: schedule and the talent
0: and 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 that combined with their talent you know I I don't think there's many teams on Alabama's schedule that's got a shot at beating them and I think Alabama cruises across their schedule you got Clemson after they beat Georgia I think they cruise I don't think they cruise against Georgia but I, I think if they beat Georgia they cruise across the rest of the ACC schedule other teams don't have that talent to say the same thing about their schedule other than maybe Ohio State but I still think that they've got some major quarterback issues to work through up there in Columbus so I I don't think that you see Alabama and Clemson get upset throughout the regular season does that mean I think that they make it both of those teams make it to the national championship I think Alabama does but I don't know if Clemson does but around college football I don't think you say the same thing I think you see a lot of parity across uh, across the landscape of the college football season and next year ought to be a really really fun year whether or not but the teams that get spit out into the college football playoff those teams all will have a legitimate shot at winning the national championship i think you're going to have a very fun college football season and the four that get selected and the four that earned their way into the college football playoff those four teams truly will this is going to amount to be a solid college football playoff because if you're able to survive this season and you're the best four teams i think that they're going to have a have a legitimate shot at each one of them at making it i think Alabama the best of those teams of course but you look at the four that make it to that point i i think it'll be a, a competitive playoff this year just looking at all the talent that left the game unless somebody just emerges like an lsu from a from a couple of years ago where the, just the stars aligned but i, I don't think anything's I, you know you look through the you look through the telescope i don't, I don't know if you see that in, in our planetary model of space <laughs> we'll talk more here on on the line coming back from the other side of this break Last segment of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Before we wrap up the show here, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. A lot of acronyms with two new crime shows on CBS with NCIS at 7 and FBI at 8. Over on NBC at 7, The Voice has the live top nine results and at 8, it's a new episode of This Is Us. Movie selection for tonight, Disney's Mulan, is on at 7 on Freeform. In live sports, it's a full night. The NBA play-in tournament begins in the Eastern Conference with the 9-10 game between the Charlotte Hornets and the Indiana Pacers at 5.30 on TNT. At 8 on TNT, the 7-seed Boston Celtics clash with the eight-seed Washington Wizards. In the MLB, there is one game on ESPN at 7 with the New York Yankees at the Texas Rangers. Midweek college baseball is between Kansas and Missouri at 6 on SEC Network. The Stanley Cup playoffs roll on with three game twos on TV. At 6.30, it's the Islanders at the Penguins on NBCSN. At 7 on CNBC, it's the Lightning at the Panthers. And at 9 on NBCSN, the Wild wrap up the night with the Vegas Golden Knights. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. Clearly the worst night of the NBA play-in tournament when you look at what the Western Conference has on tap for tomorrow, but the Eastern Conference side of things in the NBA play-in tournament tonight, Charlotte Hornets, Indiana Pacers, as I just mentioned, and what's on TV tonight, 5.30 TNT. Do you have
1: predictions for this, Lance? I think think Charlotte's going to win this game. Charlotte has a lot, okay, Charlotte's got a lot of egos on their team but they've really? got so many individual <laughs> talents. They've got Bridges, they've got Ball, they've got P.J. Washington. I mean, this is a talented basketball team. The fact that they only went, like, basically 500, I believe they were, like, what, 34 and 37? I may be wrong on that. It's somewhere around there. Um, but they, they've got some talented pieces. 33 on, and 39. 33 and 39. But they've got some talented pieces on their roster. I can see them getting past Indiana easily. Indiana is, it, it, I whenever I think of the Pacers, uh, ever since Paul George left, I have a really hard time of thinking of a player that they've had that's been really good. I mean, maybe you can think of Victor Ol- Oladipo, but he's not been there. So it's just they don't – whenever you're talking about star talent, that's what's going to get you through NBA playoffs. I don't see Indiana having much of that, and I don't see them making a lot of noise against Charlotte.
0: You're hating on Malcolm Brogdon and Demonta Sabonis, bro. Sabonis
1: is a talented player. Sabonis I'll give him that. is great. Sabonis is talented. I'll, 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 give, I'll give the Pacers <laughs> that. I'll give them that. Here's what bothers me about this game. Charlotte, five game losing streak
0: entering the playoffs. They're not playing their best brand of basketball is a big reason why they barely were in the play in tournament. Of course, but you look at the five teams that they've played against and they didn't get blown out by anybody and they weren't easy games either. You had the Pelicans lost by 2, not not overly easy there. You got the Denver Nuggets a playoff team lost by 5. You had the Clippers, you lost by 23 there. They're uh, you know, they're a contender to win the NBA Finals. They lost to the Knicks in overtime, also a playoff team. And then you got the Wizards who are in the play in tournament and lost by 5 there, you know. You look at the Hornets right now, they may not be playing their best brand of basketball. They may not be scoring the basketball easily. And then you look at the Pacers and they they although they don't have nearly as much on uh, in the way of talent on that side they're definitely dealing with a lot of injuries right now i'm looking at charlotte charlotte's without gordon hayward tonight i'm actually leaning towards the pacers and, and, and when you look at the betting lines one and a half points to indiana indiana's on their home floor i'm gonna favor the basketball state of indiana in this one i'm gonna take the pacers to win this one and then the other one tonight you got russell westbrook washington wizards against the Boston Celtics at
1: 500, big game in the 7-8 matchup. That should be really th- – those are two teams that should be relatively evenly matched. That, that, that's a really good series for an 8-9 seed matchup, even though we wouldn't we, – That's 7-8. 7-8, seven, eight. Seven, eight, I'm sorry. We've not, we've not seen this type of bracket up until this point, and I've got some opinions on it. I think it's cool. I think they should do it for one year and then forget about it. But uh, this should be a really good team or uh, team as far as Washington goes. Team. I think they're a really good team. Celtics, on the other hand, again, talking about egos and individual star talent, I think the Celtics have that but they've they've what what do they have J- Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and then that's about it I'm I'm swinging towards the hot Washington's uh Washington Wizards you know they they started the year off really really cold they they weren't they, there was not a lot of chemistry and then Russell Russell Westbrook comes in and just kind of takes over everybody kind of forgets about Bradley Beal and he's one of the top five scorers in the NBA period forgot about my man Kimball Walker Kim- when you were talking about the Celtics Kimball Walker he's, he's just, an excellent player he, he's a good player but again. What's going to get these teams through the NBA playoffs? I think it's going to be individual star talent. And whenever I look at faces on these NBA teams, I, I think more of what the Wizards have, the more of what the Celtics yeah. have. And the Celtics have just un- underperformed this season. Without bottom a doubt. Line.
0: They're, they're, they're one of the more... Thorough rosters in the Eastern Conference. It's befuddling to see them in this game at thirty-six and thirty-six, especially with the stature of the Eastern Conference being so weak as it is at the moment. You finally get LeBron James out of your league, and now you're you're at five hundred. You can't even go to the you can't even go to the NBA Finals. You're not even in right. the play-in. You're in the play-in tournament. You're not even in the playoffs. That that that's that's a tough. Uh, this is a tough game to pick because the wizards played themselves into this position mm-hmm. to have a shot to even be the seven seed and not even have to play the number one overall seed on that side because the winner of this game is the seven seed and then the loser has to play the winner of the nine ten game for the for the eight seed and, I, I, and and they'd have to beat them twice i'm leaning more towards the the better coach the more thorough boston celtics team but russell westbrook and bradley bill they they may be they're, they're the two best players in this in this matchup. I think they want it. They gotta want it. That's it for another edition of On the Line. You got the drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Peck following us at 4 p.m. all the way from 4 to 6. Stay tuned for that. We'll see you tomorrow. You know where to find us.